Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 476 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre and your host. We talk about all things to do with the world of writing and publishing and, you know, how to succeed as an author or writer. So what's been happening in your part of the world? Well, here's my life this week in 30 seconds. On my end, I've been having my one-on-one sessions with some of the members of our freelance writing masterclass program. I literally, just before recording this, got off a two-hour Zoom call planning a business retreat that I'm co-facilitating in Hawaii later this year. I've been varnishing paintings that are about to be sent off to some lovely people who have bought my artwork. So I'm always very thrilled to know when some of my paintings have gone off to their forever homes. I'm going to see the latest David Williamson play, Nearer the Gods, at the Ensemble Theatre tomorrow night. And I spent much of my Sunday weeding in my garden. It's really satisfying just pulling up all this stuff. In terms of the world of writing and publishing, just a big heads up to everyone, all the aspiring authors out there, that the Banjo Prize has opened for submission. Now, if you're not familiar with the Banjo Prize, it's run by HarperCollins. They launched it back in 2018, and I think it's a fantastic initiative. I'm particularly excited because the 2020 winner was Danuka McKenzie. We interviewed her back in episode 472, uh, and she submitted her her crime novel, The Torrent, to the Banjo Prize, and it's now a published novel with HarperCollins, and it's just going so well. Um, I believe it's selling its socks off. It's such a fantastic story, and she, of course, is one of the graduates of the Australian Writers' Centre, so very excited about that. So if you are thinking of entering the Banjo Prize, you have until the 27th of May. So get in there. Uh, Well, I'll put the link in the show notes. Now, last week's episode, I talked about how to write your bio when pitching your manuscript to an agent or publisher. And I mentioned that it would be different to a bio that you would write for your back matter. So this week, I thought I should explain what is back matter and also what is front matter. So basically, front and back matter are the pages at the front and back of your book, the pages that aren't the actual story. So things like the title page and contents and things like that. What gets included in your front and back matter is different depending on the book and the publisher and so on. But for the front matter... You definitely need to have a title page and a copyright page. And usually your publisher organizes all of this. You don't have to actually worry too much about this. But it's good to know what they're talking about when they talk about front matter. Now, in fact, you'll often have two title pages. One is the half title, and that's what it's called. That's the industry term for it, the half title, which only has the name of the book. The other title page, so if you look at your books, you'll see this. The other title page will have all the other information like your or the author name, you know, yourself, the publisher, and so on. So grab the nearest book you can find, and you'll see that, yes, most books published in English have two title pages, the half title and the title page. In the front matter, you'll also sometimes have a table of contents or maybe a dedication, you know, when they've dedicated to the kids or their pets or whatever, or a quote, or a list of images or tables sometimes. Sometimes that goes in the back as well. Then the back matter 
is usually where you put your bio, acknowledgements, an index if you have one, references, and things like that. You've probably never really paid attention to the front and back matter of books before, but they are an integral part of the reading experience because, you know, readers have to go through them, right? And you kind of instinctively expect them. And I have to admit that one of the things that annoys me about the Kindle, because I do love reading on Kindle, is that when you open a new book for the first time, it skips all the front matter and goes to the first page of the book. Now, I find that annoying because I actually always go back and start from the beginning because otherwise it doesn't feel right to me. I'm so used to it, right? All right. So now it's true, maybe you're not going to design your own book, but knowing how a book is structured is useful, whether you're self-publishing or being traditionally published. The publishing industry is full of jargon, just like any industry, and it's always a good idea to get a handle on the language that people use. And it makes you look more professional and like you've done your research, especially when you can nod, you know, knowingly when your publisher or agent mentions that when they're on that Zoom call with you or having a coffee with you. So there you go, front and back matter. All right, now let's move on to our competition this week. We have three copies of Booth by Karen Joy Fowler that you could win. That's Booth, B-O-O-T-H, Booth. From the Booker shortlisted million copy bestselling author of We Are All Completely Beside Ourselves comes an epic novel about the infamous ill-fated Booth family, charmers, liars, drinkers, and dreamers. They will change history forever. Junius is the patriarch, a celebrated Shakespearean actor who fled bigamy charges in England, both a mesmerizing talent and a man of terrifying instability. As his children grow up in a remote farmstead in 1930s rural Baltimore, the country draws ever closer to the boiling point of secession and the Civil War. Of the six Booth siblings who survived to adulthood, each has their own dreams and they must fight to realise. But it is Johnny who makes the terrible decision that will change the course of history, the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Okay, I love stories like this and you could win one of three copies in our giveaway, Booth by Karen Joy Fowler. Entries close on the 11th of April. Just go to writercentre.com.au slash win to follow the instructions and potentially win one of these books. That's writercentre.com.au slash win. Now, are you ready for the word of the week? I hope so, because it is lethologica. Lethologica, that's L-E-T-H-O-L-O-G-I-C-A, lethologica. Do you know what it is? Okay, the Macquarie Dictionary definition is a psychological disorder characterized by the inability to retrieve words, names, phrases, etc. from one's memory, resulting in a severe disruption to the expression of one's thoughts. (laughs) Of course, that sounds very ominous, but in a less scary definition, it's just when you can't quite remember a word, you know, when it's on the tip of your tongue and you can't quite grasp it. So if you struggle to remember someone's name, you can apologize and say that you have lethologica, unless of course you can't remember the word lethologica. Anyway, lethologica. And that was the word of the week. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that Alison Tate and I have written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. 
Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day job. Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au forward slash book. Let's move on to our writer in residence this week. I am so excited to be chatting to Astrid Scholt, whose book League of Liars is out now. Now, Astrid first forged her career working in film and animation and television, uh, and she has worked on James Cameron's Avatar, the movie, and Steven Spielberg movies like The Adventures of Tintin or The Adventures of Tantan, depending on if you want to do the French way, and other movies like that. We spoke to her ages ago back in episode 280 when she released her debut young adult novel, Four Dead Queens. It was an international bestseller. Her second novel is called The Vanishing Deep, and now League of Liars is out. And of course, Astrid is also a graduate of the Australian Writers' Centre. And nothing makes me happier than to see her go from success to success. So without further ado, here is Astrid Schult. Thank you so much for joining us today, Astrid. Thank you so much for having me, Valerie. It's great to be here. Oh, I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited about this book. I mean, okay. (laughs) There's so much to talk about, but let's just start off with League of Liars. For those people who haven't got their copy yet, and they should, what's it about? So League of Liars is a young adult fantasy crime mashup. It's set in a world where magic can be lured from any shadow to alter time. It features a 17-year-old legal apprentice who is going to spend his summer studying the other side of the law before he wants to become a prosecutor eventually. And during this apprenticeship, he meets three teenage criminals who have very complicated stories and despite the overwhelming evidence against them, starts to find himself siding with these criminals and questioning everything that he knew about the law and the magic system itself. All right, so there's mystery, there's um, drama, there is obviously fantasy. I just Mm -hmm. want to touch on the fantasy aspect because, as you say, it's about um, it involves certain elements of magic that in this world people can harness if they choose to. And it's a kind of unique kind of magic. (laughs) Um, I don't think it's a spoiler if we mention what it is because it's right there at the beginning of the book, right? Um, And But maybe you would probably do it more justice if you explain the kind of magic that they can harness because I think it's really intriguing and then I have further questions on that. So perhaps you could just explain that with the shadows and everything. Yeah, sure. So it's accessible through any shadow, any dark shadow, and I wanted a magic system that was so easily ready to use for the people who live there, but the the consequences of using the magic is so unpredictable. So you can essentially bend it to your will and it bring you certain things or change your reality or change time, but what actually happens when the magic tries to do your bidding is very unpredictable and often deadly. So Mm. therefore this magic is illegal and there is this prison, Vardian, which is where a lot of the novel takes place for anyone who does 
use magic or even attempts to use magic. Okay. So it's a pretty unique kind of premise and it's absolutely fascinating. And as I was, as it was unfolding, I was thinking, how did she think that, how did that come into her brain? So how, how did you start determining what kind of magic it would be? Because it's not like your traditional spells and stuff. Uh, How did you determine what kind of magic it would be? And then the the world that could be built around it what was the spark yeah that's a good question and sometimes it's it's really easy to spot like the spark of inspiration I know with four dead queens it was a dream that kind of started the building of that world and for League of Liars it's not as clear for me because it was a bit of a process of putting together different ideas like I knew I wanted to write a like my take on a true crime documentary like I love things like the staircase the jinx making a murderer where you you're getting drip fed pieces of information Mm -hmm. and trying to put it together and you're never really sure well do I believe them do I not like what is actually going on here so I wanted to do that but in a fantasy setting so I knew I wanted the magic to be illegal and I wanted it to be that anyone could do it whereas in a lot of magic systems you either Um, trained to become a magician or a a wizard uh, or you know as you mentioned spells that there is some kind of uh, knowledge gain but this is something that anyone can do and so anyone is capable of using it and therefore anyone is capable of being then imprisoned for using it and I needed something therefore that could be tapped in at any time so I was thinking about well what sort of circumstances or settings like can it come from water is it just in the atmosphere like what is it itself that you can draw this magic from and I can't remember exactly how I came up with the idea of shadows but that is something that's when there's light there is there is darkness so Mm -hmm. there is this idea of in the darkness there is something that can be used to hopefully improve the person standing but it can then have these disastrous consequences. And I needed that that balance, that light and shade, because I wanted it to be such a such an unpredictable form of magic that you really can't risk people using it. And therefore you would have to rely on the legal system and mm. and just the presence of this prison that is so visible on the horizon, like coming out of the water, this this ghastly prison that you would not want to use it, even though it's it's always, the magic's always there. Okay, fantastic. So to give people some context, this is your third novel now. Yes. Now your fourth one, as you mentioned, your, your first one, as you mentioned, was Four Dead Queens. And then you did The Vanishing Deep and now this is your third one. So, and we have interviewed you before in the podcast. So if people want to hear your origin story, you know, we'll um, make, make sure you go and listen to, to that particular episode. But can you tell us after, just to get as a bit of a catch up, after um, you released Four Dead Queens, at one point, because you, you, your debut novel is um, a pretty significant thing, and but you're, there's also a level of uncertainty as to, is this my career or not, right? After your third novel, it's a bit different. But after Four Dead Queens was released, when did you kind of think this is it, this is going to be, I know for sure this is my path now? I think I probably knew before Four Dead Queens. So it was probably more an ambitious (laughs) goal and idea that, 
this is what I want to do. I mean, I've always wanted to write stories ever since I could read and write. That was something that I wanted to do and something that I was attracted to and especially fantasy. And I tried for many years, as you mentioned, there is my origin story, but many (laughs) years to try and get published. And so my goal was always once I get in, (laughs) get my foot in the door, you know, hopefully they can't get rid of me and I can tell many, many stories. So yeah, it's it certainly was solidified with releasing my first book and mm. just loving. I, again, I wasn't sure what it was to be an author. I knew what it was to write a book and then submit it to a publisher and revise, but then kind of what happens and what's expected of you, that part of it I wasn't sure of because I hadn't gone through the process. Mm. But once I did and I was able to connect with readers at different events and I just like was blown away by that it's it's such a solo insular activity writing but once you put it out in the world it's such a community that you become a part of and I loved that part so much that I was like I have to keep I have to keep writing and keep releasing books as long as I can oh I love it so the thing is um this is you 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 write YA um young adult and but a lot of adults read young adult um but you mentioned um uh you know connecting with readers and that sort of thing I imagine that there are there are a lot of young adult fans who connect with you on all different types of platforms what kind of relationship and feedback and level of frequency do they contact you daily so wow yeah it's amazing and you know it's been three years since four dead queens came out and to this week actually so (laughs) it's it's really incredible to still be tagged in posts reviews people reaching out, asking for sequels. That's something I get a lot for Four Dead Queens and have also been getting for League of Liars already, which is amazing because the, the book is just coming out. Mm. And so, yeah, it is it is a daily interaction, which is it it's very validating in a way that, you know, you do put the book out in the world and then you, you sit at home and you hope people are reading it, but you don't know. And then to have people say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm reading it, I'm loving it, or this is my favourite character, or I've created some artwork based on, on this scene that I love so much, it's just, yeah, it makes it all worthwhile, all the long hours and the hard work. And, oh, yeah. how fantastic. So I understand that it could certainly be validating, but um, in terms of the your interactions with them and the feedback that they give you, has any of their feedback ever um, uh, impacted some of your creative decisions? Like, oh, I was going to kill that character, but now I'm not, or, you know, something like that. Yeah, it does. I think I didn't have that experience with Four Dead Queens or The Vanishing Deep because I actually had written both, well, obviously wrote Four Dead Queens before it came out, Mm. but I'd written The Vanishing Deep before Four Dead Queens had been published because there was a two-week, sorry, a two-year gap between uh, the publishing deal and the release of the book. Mm -hmm. So I had this this kind of vacuum where I could just write whatever I wanted with no expectations. No one knew me yet and I just wrote two books that I wanted to tell the stories of and I loved the characters and the worlds. And then book three was such a different experience because I had gotten so much feedback from Four Dead Queens at that time. The Vanishing Deep hadn't quite come out yet. And that's when I really started to think, okay, well, they really responded well to this. And maybe, you know, they didn't pick up on that, which I thought was going to be 
a bigger moment or something like that. So that's when I did really think about, okay, what am I going to write next? And I actually wrote two manuscripts. They were incomplete, but one was at 50,000 words before I then wrote League of Liars. And I decided that League of Liars would be the next best uh, book to release at that time. So that came from the sort of feedback that I was getting from my readers and what they were enjoying and feeling like, okay, this makes sense as the next book to follow up um, what I'd released in the past. Mm. So with League of Lies, can you give us a bit of a timeline? So when the idea came into your head, when, how long you spent on the first draft and, you know, the subsequent iterations after that? Yeah. So I was actually, I took six months off from work. So I I work in film and TV production and I was traveling around a lot for uh, touring for four day Queens. And I had a lot of events and I thought, look, I'm going to take the time off, focus on, on the book and also write my next one. So it was 2019 and for, I wrote the first draft of League of Liars in six weeks, which is what? a very short <laughs> amount of time. I'll no. <laughs> really? Yeah. Hang was, on. How many words in, in your first draft? Well, the first draft was about 82,000. Okay. Yeah. Now, how, how did this happen? Did, did you already have the story in your head and it just needed to pour out of you? Or were you actually discovering the story as you were writing? How is it possible yeah. to have written it in six weeks? And was it like nine to five? Like what kind of hours were you doing? I was trying to do very much nine to five, like taking it, taking it as like a, a day job, you know. So I had put my my other day job aside and, and this I was going to write kind of nine to five, nine to six hours. And I discovered that you can <laughs> attempt to do that, but really out of that that time, which is is quite a long time to be creative and, and in your process for, for eight hours straight, I would only maybe get three to four good hours of writing a day. So I had the idea and I think I had written maybe a chapter or so, but I'm a a pantser, so I didn't know what was going to happen. I hadn't plotted it out and I didn't know my characters yet. I just knew I wanted it to be set in a prison. I wanted it to be courtroom drama, but magic. And I didn't know what would happen. And I just sat down every day and tried to write as much as possible and um, at least, well, usually when I'm working full-time, I try to write at least a 1,000 words a day. But now that I was writing full-time, I tried to write at least 5,000 words a day. So, yeah, I just sat down what? every day <laughs> as much as I could. Wow. So let's say, did you just say 5,000 words a day? Yes. That's amazing. So let's and say you words, get- I should preface that, like they're very so, rough words. Oh yeah, that's fine. But let's say you get to your 5000, mm-hmm. you know, um do you actually have more in you but then you force yourself to stop in case you know you've run out of juice or something? Like cuz if you get to 5000 it's like, well, why not get to 6000, you know? I I usually if if I'm on a roll, I'll keep going, but usually I'm kind of at my limit at that point. Uh, sometimes I'll jot down some ideas for the next time I sit down uh, or I'll do like a, a what if and just do a list of all different things that I think might happen. And then that will spark some more for the next day to keep going. But yeah, it's, it is not normally how I write books. And it was the first time that I did it that way. Mm. And 
Uh, I should also say that that first draft is very, very different to the published novel. Sure. <laughs> so much more work went into the revisions. Okay, so we'll get to that. Um, I want to ask you about the revisions. But when you're sitting down thinking, I'm going to write now, I've got, I've got this idea, it's going to pour out of my brain, you're not writing about the real world. You're writing about this fantasy world, which right. has its own rules, its own environment, its own geography, its own borders, its, its own everything. What do you need to do to step into that world so that you are then writing it authentically? I think it's it's a process of, of revisions. I, I think like the initial sketch of the world is just that. It is a rough sketch. I know that there's going to be magic and I know there's going to be a prison and I want it to be visible. So it kind of has to be over there. And I want it to be, I don't want technology. Technology is really difficult in fantasy to pull off because it often gets in the way, like mobile phones. You know, how many times in movies and TV shows do you not have cell service? Because if you did, it would just, the plot would fall apart. So I knew I wanted it to be a world that wasn't a specific era of our history but that it what did feel a little bit like the 19th century like there are a few kind of throwbacks to that and yeah I had this rough idea and then I just kind of as I go through revisions start to fill in the sketch and and work out bit by bit and I usually just work out what you need to know chapter by chapter so and they say that that's the best way to build a world for a reader is you only tell the reader what they need to know in that moment so what do you need to know about the world in the first chapter is very different from what you need to know about the world by you know the 10th chapter and the Mm. 50th chapter so when you are did you give yourself six weeks or did you just like was it a six-week deadline for you Yes, I wanted to finish it before I went back uh, to my Okay, job. oh, right, okay. Yeah, so, I wanted the first draft. So you get to, you know, week five and a half. <laughs> <laughs> By then, did you know what was going to happen at the end or were you still discovering that or did you get to the stage of, oh, I'm panicked, I don't know what to do, I've got three days left? <laughs> <laughs> no, usually around halfway I've figured out how I want it to end. Uh. And again, the ending is very different in the book than that first draft. So I thought I knew how it was going to end and that ended up being completely different. So, yeah, wow. I usually work out as I'm going along. Uh, it, it, it's, um, I've heard the analogy, I think Jay Kristoff, I've heard him say it's like when you're, you're driving at night with a car, you can just, with the lights on, you can see a little bit ahead. Mm-hmm. You don't know really where, where you're going, but you see you know, bit by bit. And I very much agree with that analogy. And I see, you know, as you write, you things kind of unfurl out mm. of that and, you know, a little bit more and a little bit more. And then usually by halfway, I know where at least I want to end up. I might not know exactly how to get there, but I've got mm. more than than just darkness ahead. Yeah, sure. And so let's let's talk about after the six weeks. What happened then? What did you do next? So at that point, I wrote up a proposal and because I had a a two-book deal with Penguin Random House in the US and then they sold on to Allen & Unwin, which is where it's uh, published in 
Australia and New Zealand, mm-hmm. I had to sell a new book essentially to, to Penguin Random House. They had the first option. Mm. So I put together a propo- proposal and I think it was the first, uh, I can't remember if I gave them the entire manuscript. It was at least a good chunk, like, like 50 pages, mm. and then sent that to my editor and then, yeah. Of they, the first draft? Of the first draft? Yeah, of the first draft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and then once, uh, so they they bought that, I then sent the the full draft over and um, that's when we would start revisions. But that wasn't until 2020 that we started revisions. So how long was the revising and editing process with your editors? So that was about a year, but you don't work you know, for, for that entire year, it's, it's a, you know, six weeks here on a tight deadline and then a few months waiting, and then you'll have the next revision come back and you'll do a mm. month um, of intense editing and revision mm. and then it goes back. So it's hard to kind of put that all together. So I would say maybe four to five months across, yeah, a year and a half was, was roughly do you enjoy the editing process? Do you actually kind of, you, you do? Yeah. yeah, it's my favourite part. Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people. Why? Are, I don't know. I think because I don't plan. There's this, this dread inside me that maybe I'm going to hit a point where I don't know where the story is going and I'll give up on it. And I did do that with the two other manuscripts. I was like, oh, I don't think this is exactly what I should be writing. It's not really working. I'll, I'll shelve it and come back to it. So once that foundation is there, it doesn't matter how bad it is because my first drafts are bad. I know that I have a story in there somewhere and I just got to piece it together and, and find it. So yeah, the revision process is, is a lot more fun for me. It's more of fleshing out the characters and the logic of the world and magic and, and all that good stuff. So what kinds of things does your, without necessarily going to specifics so we don't spoil anything, what kinds of things does the editor come back to you with that needs to change? So the first draft, as I mentioned, was very different to the finished book. Mm. So certain things might be like I'm not really understanding this character's motivation or, you know, we need to know a little bit more about why they're behaving this way or or um it feels like the author is kind of leading these characters to do this thing because you need them to do that thing rather than them coming to that kind of decision on their own or more organically Mm -hmm. Uh, and so one of the things that I ended up doing and well one of actually the main things for this book was the stakes so what is at stake for Kader himself because Mm. he's he has a backstory where he lost his mother through the careless use of Edom. So that's why he believes so passionately that anyone who uses this extra dimensional magic should be locked away, you know, to protect society. And I needed him to have, and it's very hard to talk about the book without giving too much away, but Mm -hmm. have an investment in these three criminals that he meets. And, you know, what is, is that that's going to make him, really reconsider his his entire life up until that point where he believed so much in the legal system. Mm. So that was something that came out through revisions and I changed one character, which I can't really mention. Okay. Who, 
I changed their their entire backstory so that it helped uh, Cater's uh, motivation. Right. So tell me why you love writing for young adults. I love YA because I love reading it. So for me, it's not only what I love to write, but it's what I love to read. And there's just something so heartwarming and pure about teens being passionate about something. They love something with their whole heart. And I feel like we lose that a little bit as we get older mm-hmm. and being surrounded by a community that, that just like they believe these in these characters, they love mm-hmm. them and just this enthusiasm they have for fiction and for stories. And that's the same way that I am a, about stories. Like I, I think they're so important uh, in our lives and especially, you know, for escapism, it's, it's so important. And for empathy, like being able to read from different people's perspectives. And, yeah, YA really is, it's not only a great community, but it is a, a category that allows you to really play with genre and Mm. that's something I personally love to do I love to blend different genres together like crime thrillers and fantasy it's not necessarily something you would think that you would want to read a courtroom drama about fantasy Mm. crime but (laughs) that's something that really appealed to me and I feel like that's you know YA allows you those liberties to just play with with the genre and um, have fun it really Mm. is like it's a, a joyful form of storytelling I think it's probably the best way I can encapsulate it. Mm. Now, you may or may not be able to answer this question, but um, uh, you, th- but I want to ask you anyway. <laughs> um, so in the book, there are kind of like four points. You, you write from different characters' points of view. There is the protagonist, Cato, who you write in first person, and that's straightforward because it's first person and it's his experience and all that. Mm-hmm. But you write in, you know, limited, um, third person limited focus, uh, close focus with um, uh, Princess Eleonora and Jay and Lita, I think. Yeah. Now, point of view is something that some writers really, really struggle with when they are writing their novel. And it can be, you know, very confusing, not only obviously for the reader, but for the writer to, to really nail it. You kind of get it or you don't, right? Yeah. You, you obviously you get it. Obviously, you're 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 you've, you're a master at it. What do do you recall uh, any point where you struggled with it and what you did to kind of nail it? Mm. Yeah, back I, in the day, you know, back when you were. <laughs> I, I was talking about this this morning in in uh, my launch with the US where. I previously always wrote first person and just one character, first person POV. And I had written many manuscripts, tried to get them published. And that was what I was used to. And also what I was familiar with, with reading them. And I had this idea for Four Dead Queens and I knew I wanted to do something different. And I wanted to have the perspective of the Queens in third and then the main character in first, because it was essentially her story. And I didn't know if I could do it. It was, it was really a, a risk. It was the first time that I had tried to do it, the first time I'd ever written in third person. And I, I really enjoyed it because for me it, it was quite, it was easier to get the different personalities of the queens across in third person than it would have been in first person because you, you have a little bit more of an outside view of who the character is, how they behave, how they look. 
Whereas first person, you're very much, you know, within their head. So it's all based on how they think and feel. And obviously characters think and feel in different ways. But for me, it was easier to differentiate between the characters by doing third. And the same with League of Liars, I've done third because there's a lot of secrets and twists and turns in this book. And Mm. I needed that little bit of distance from the characters that they couldn't be first person because they would reveal too much. And yeah, so I had to do the third person a little bit more distance. And I also was then able to, to really look at, okay, well, not only what, what are these characters presenting to the world, which is very different from maybe what, and they really believe or, or what it is that they want and mm. what they desire. And so, yeah, I think for me, playing around with perspectives helped me find the characters' voices. And perhaps that isn't something that I would have been able to do if it was just in first person. Mm. So when you first started doing, because you said you've always written first person, mm. um, I'm curious to know because some writers who uh, have only ever written first person but also want to, you know, um, for various technical reasons or whatever, you know, um, they don't want certain characters to know certain things, they want to write in third person, they actually write the characters in first person first and then change it. Yeah, <laughs> um, I've heard people do that, which sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> okay, so you didn't do that. Now, no. now, your books are very popular in the US and in Australia, um, both countries, but with the exception of obviously changing spelling and, you know, things like that, are there any other changes that you're aware of that the publisher makes to the different books? No, there haven't really been anything. I mean, because I first write for the US because mm. uh, Penguin, uh, they then sell it on to Alan yep. and Arthur. So that those first edits and revisions that I'm doing are with the US. Mm. I kind of have to put my head in the US mindset. And one of the early discussions that we had was what term you would use for an apprentice. Like we, <laughs> we were discussing, are they a trainee? Are they an intern? And there's... There's things that we use here that in the US they don't, so they don't translate. So I had to kind of figure out, okay, well, what kind of makes sense in this world, but also it's not, this world isn't the US, it's a it's a fantasy world. So there are a few things like that that come up, but most of the time it is purely spelling. Yes, yes. So take us back to um, just very briefly, because we know that there is your origin story in the other episode, but just take us back briefly to how you got the US deal in for your first book. Sure. Uh, so yeah, I'd been trying to get published for, I think it was four years at that point with two different manuscripts. And I heard about Pitch Wars, which is an online competition where you enter to win a mentor and they help you polish up your manuscript to go online for a showcase where agents request material and then hopefully you sign through them. And I thought, well, this is a great deadline. I, I will thrive on deadlines. So I thought I want to get my, my manuscript ready for the, for, uh, the Pitch Wars competition, which was a little ambitious because I hadn't started it in March and it was due in August. And I <laughs> managed to do a pretty rough first draft of Four Dead Queens and I got into the competition. And then 
my, I think it was like 250 words. It wasn't a lot and a little pitch went online in November that year. So this was 2016. And yeah, I signed with an agent uh, a week later. So it was very quick. And this is one of the things about Pitch Wars is it does speed up the entire process. So hang on, you signed with an agent as a result of going into Pitch Wars? So any, like they will have hundreds of agents that will look up all the different uh, applications or the submissions, and then they will say, oh, well, the full manuscript, you send it to them, and then they'll decide if they want to represent you. So it gave me the exposure I could query and I did still query a few different agents with the manuscript once I'd gone through Pitch Wars, which was a month of polishing and rewriting the manuscript. Uh, but I ended up yeah, getting it through one of the agents who wrote on, on my submission, said they wanted to read more. And, and then we did. And it's a US agent. Yes, yes, yes. In, in in New York, where a lot of the industry still is. Yes. Um, who knows, that might change now that, you know, it's more virtual. Um, and then, yeah, we did a light round of revisions and in the new year, in January 2017, it, I went out on submissions, which is when your agent sends to all the publishers, which is it's a bit of a different process here in Australia. You can go directly to publishers, yes. but in the US you need an agent. Mm. And it, I was very lucky. It was really quick. I w- was one of the first manuscripts that my editor had read in the new year. And then they um, offered, so that's uh, Putnam at uh, Penguin Random House. And, yeah, that was, I mean, a very kind of short version of of how it happened and certainly a lot quicker than my previous attempts, which was, you know, sending out a manuscript to an agent or Mm. hundreds of agents and getting Mm. hundreds of rejections and then trying again with another manuscript. Um, Moral of the story is enter competitions and be persistent. Be persistent, definitely. Mm. And no one. And one of the things I learned was no one to give up on something, which sounds really hard, and it is hard in the moment because you believe in something so much. Like I mm. believe that first manuscript I wrote was going to be published. It was going to become a movie. It was going to be all the things, <laughs> and um, it it didn't do anything. It was, but it was a great way to learn about the publishing process and the journey of getting an agent, and also in it improved my writing because it's like every bit of writing is never wasted and that's one thing that I learned maybe so what <laughs> so Astrid you've done uh some courses at the Australian Writer Centre yes I have I've done quite a few intro to novel writing creative writing one and two mystery murder and magic I believe <laughs> one as well and yeah they were all so fantastic and I wouldn't be here if it weren't for those courses so thank you so much Oh, we're so thrilled for you. I'm going to support you every step of the way because I absolutely believe in your in your writing and your novels. So very excited. What are you working on now? Well, I have a few secret things that I can't talk about. Oh my goodness, can't you yeah. hint or something? So <laughs> there's as I've mentioned, there's been a lot of requests for sequels. Uh, so there is some things in the works. I can say that I do know what happens next in League of Lions, so uh-huh. it be interesting to some people. Yes. And, yeah, I have a, a new a book that I'm working on that I'm hoping to sell later in the year. A standalone book. Yes, this one is a standalone. But at right. YAN and blending of genres, all the, the fun stuff that I enjoy. And how far into it are you? 
I have, so this actually is one of the manuscripts I put aside. So I have 50,000 words and I've come back to it and I've, I have fresh eyes and I was like, why did I put this aside? I really <laughs> enjoy this book. Let's finish it. So yeah, that's what I'm working on at the moment. Brilliant. All right. And finally, um, uh, what are your top three tips for aspiring writers who hope to be in a position like you are one day? Well, my first is always read. Uh, mm-hmm. The best way to learn how story structure can work, character arcs, is to read. The other thing is to know when to give up and move on to a new story. <laughs> okay, yes. But on the flip side, be persistent because it is all about, you know, you hear the only difference between a published author and unpublished is that they didn't give up. So, yes. Absolutely. Brilliant advice. Congratulations once again on League of Liars. Everyone, you need to get a copy. It's absolutely such a great read. Um, And we loved having you on the show. Thank you so much, Astrid. Thank you so much, Valerie. It was a pleasure chatting to you. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. I will report back on my review of the David Williamson play, Nearer the Gods. I do have a soft spot for David Williamson only because he was just such a huge part of my theatre-going activity in my 20s when I was discovering the world of plays and live performance and all of that. I remember back then he wrote a play which I knew that a friend of mine would absolutely love, so I found a way to buy the script and then contacted David Williamson, you know, by letter in those days, I guess, um, to see if he would sign it for my friend's birthday. And he was so lovely. He did that and sent it back. So, you know, another reason I have a soft spot for his work. Anyway, in the meantime, until we chat again, please feel free to connect with me on social media. I'm at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O on Twitter and Instagram, and you'll find me at ValerieKoo.com as well. But please also join the podcast community on Facebook. Some great conversations happening in there and also wonderful to connect with other writers. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.